Yeah. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Jones Chronicles. I'm your host, Christina. We're into the year of 2024. My first foray into the new year involved a lot of children. My nieces, nephews, they uh, had a good time in my house the past couple of days and I enjoyed having them. I really did. All of the cuddling and the, the kissing and the kicking to my nephews because they just, they, they love to wrestle. And they really, and I, I still be jumping in there like for some reason my bones can't handle or can handle that type of activity. It can't. Can't at all. <laughs> Last night they just opened the door and propelled the, the, the 12 year old right into my boob. So I was just sitting there like Peter Griffin. But that is neither here nor there. Since it is the top of 2024, I thought I'd start by discussing the best TV shows that I covered last year. The meh and the worst ones before jumping into our hot topics that I uh, that I proposed last podcast or preempted I should stay best TV shows that I covered last year Rick and Morty because me and Shy had so much fun doing it I like Rick and Morty I do think it is one of the more overrated shows because I'm going to talk about overrated shows as well uh, because I think it's more inflated within the fandom. Don't get me wrong. It's, it is what it is, but it's not, in my opinion, anything more mind blowing as say Family Guy when it first premiered on to television, that, that edgy humor taking things to a dark place, just being really silly with some of their premises. Premises? Is that a word? No, it's not. But it's still enjoyable for what it is. And I can't wait to to do season six when it comes out with Shy, because I know that's going to be a great time for us. Foundation season two has to be one of the best TV shows I covered last year. Because I loved everything about Foundation Season 2. Even the parts I complained about I loved. Good Omen Season 2 as well is one of the favorite shows. Just because I love Curly and Aziraphale. And while the season wasn't perfect. It gave me all the happiness that I needed. I put House of the Dragon. I put that also in the category of overrated. But House of the, the Dragon. I think was very well written and constructed. Once again, the fandom kind of inflated and turned the show into something else in the background. But for what they have on paper, on page, the things that they're doing with the acting, other than the one really dark scene, House of the Dragons was was a good first season. Interview with the Vampire, that probably is number two, (laughs) if not number one, because I really like Foundation. But Interview with the Vampire on AMC, one of the best premiere shows last year, and it got very little attention, which is a shame. 
but it was some of the best writing we've seen in a while. I've seen in a while. We have the bear. Even though I didn't put it really in the top uh, three, only because of the the emotional toll sometimes it takes watching that show. It's very good. And some people are, told me, I, I made a comment like that, a uh, person's like, well, trauma is, is what makes good TV. No one's saying it doesn't. But it's one thing to abstractly <laughs> watch something and another thing to internalize it when it's hitting on things that you have been through. So there is going to be a different way you're going to interact with the source material. And if you've not been through that type of traumatic experience or you have been through that traumatic experience and you just like you, you're going to have different reactions to it and you should respect someone saying that, <laughs> that they can't rewatch certain episodes like the one where the mom and the whole family, like that was one of those that's too much for me to ever really watch again and again and again. And it's because there's just too much baggage <laughs> in my own personal emotional treat to, to have that shake in it. And then lastly, Jen V because that was unexpected and a lot of fun and very relatable. And I think probably the best thing that Seth Rogen has done uh, production wise since that I've liked Preacher. The meh shows I did last season, uh, last year, I keep wanting to say last season, The Center season four. I like season four better than season three, but it was just okay. The Wheel of Time season two. That's another one where it did get better than the first season. So that's something. But unfortunately, I don't think it has and it's going to end season three. It had enough time to really air out the stories and develop them the way they could have been to make a much more succinct um story arc between all three seasons i think if they may have paced out season one differently than season then season two may have worked a lot better like i I would have wanted to do a a shakeover (laughs) especially if i'm not going to get five seasons of this show don't have time to waste unfortunately and then barry i put on here even though it's one of my favorite shows of all time the last season the second half in particular was a huge letdown it wasn't bad it was just it ended on a uh, note and considering i don't feel like it was deserved still eh, that's gonna have to go into the meh category so least favorite shows and i think these are no surprises most of them i did not even finish silo i don't know why people like that show but I found almost all of the characters just absolutely unattainable. Fuck you. Fuck you, and you, and you. If you're not actually rooting for the titular character, something's gone wrong. The Flash final season. This is the end. Beautiful friend. This is the end. My only friend. I honestly didn't 
recall that The Flash ended this year. I thought it was two years ago. That's how long it feels it's been. And it's so not rememberable at all. Yeah, I think it's the worst season of The Flash. (laughs) Peripheral, even though I finished that show and it was canceled for season two, it really didn't go as many places as it could have. Will Trent, even though that's very popular, the first couple of episodes on YouTube right now, I, I found myself very annoyed with characterizations, particularly, I can't remember her name, but the blonde. And I didn't like how they were covering something that could be potentially very strong for that character. And, and I think I may need to make a caveat here to both Shy and Mimi as well. They may not know this about me if they've not picked up this trend. I'm not the biggest fan of, uh, what, what do you call, primetime TV. I'm just not. If it's, it, I don't know what it is about how they write ABC, NBC. I, I'm going to trust that Found is a really good show because it has enough people in it that I like that, and, and I trust that Mimi and Shy liked it enough to tell me you got to get into it I'm gonna watch that show but that's the reason why I'm not as keen to jump into sitcom or or primetime any of those if it's not on cable (laughs) I might not want to look at it because I I typically have an issue with the writing that is done on any of those shows uh, even shows I've liked in the past, like New Amsterdam or uh, what did we, we covered Mixed Dish. There was a lot of shows we covered where we, it was clear I, I liked some of them, but the writing was always ugh, just problematic. All British shows that I covered last year on the podcast were all not good. So I'm glad that Bodies is good because... I will give you all the chances in the world, but, and and because I, I do have a tendency to sometimes like British writing, because I know that's a, like, well, how can you like that when they write certain things that are just as true, true, but I'm more inclined to give them more leadway. It's just how it is, bias, but they still were all terrible. Cannon Busters absolutely garbage it could have had so much potential to have be good but it also went nowhere upload season three i don't know what they were doing with that season it wasn't the worst because i did watch all of it clearly and i think that if they didn't have the two characters i like most then i wouldn't so hopefully they get a season four so they can at least wrap up that the the storylines that they put forth and since it's not a whole bunch of money I think they they earned at least per the two seasons prior and not with the pandemic trying to film to do something maybe that will be more aligned to what they they did the first two seasons and lastly most overrated shows I think I already mentioned uh, Rick and Morty Succession I've watched probably five episodes of the first season and it wasn't for me. And that's okay. And this is a 
something I have to also tell myself. This is not something I'm just telling to the universe. Me included. We need to do better when people are not into the shows or into some of your interests that you are in too, because it, you could say, oh, it's great writing. It's great this. But if you do not emotionally connect with it, it doesn't matter how aesthetically or how well acted the other components are. You need to be emotionally. And some people don't, and that's fine. But for the people who don't like these very highly popular shows and then the response is what my 14 year old daughter does sometimes which is to basically be like well you suck and you're a loser and you like it's your problem that you don't like this show and you take a negative viewpoint of that person because they don't like that show I don't take it that far but I'll be like you didn't like that even that though I have to acknowledge is unless it's done in a friendly banter and you know the person well enough, that could come off though in a way like, oh, what do you mean I didn't see that? Like, I don't have to see everything. So I do think as a life lesson that everybody doesn't have to like everybody's stuff and we need to start really not uh, judging people or deciding if you're going to interact with them just because they don't like the same television shows that you do. It's so ridiculous how much we are polarizing and separating everything from everybody. Like, that's silly. Shouldn't do it in in television. And then The Last of Us. Yeah, I got to episode three and didn't get any further because I watched the other... I did get through... um, As far as, like, podcasting, I got to episode three. I did watch the next two episodes and I'm not saying it's not decent. I just burnt out. This is the same concept we always do um, on the zombie shows. And while it was a little bit different, I can honestly, I just, I didn't connect to the kid at all. (laughs) I just, I had a hard time. I would have been happier if they had kept, if the, the role of Ellie was cast as, um, the first actress, the actress that was uh, Tandaway Newton's daughter. I would have preferred that actress over her. And I typically love that actress. I think she's really, she was the best thing in Game of Thrones. There's nothing wrong with her acting. It's just, I was not feeling the story. And then like, I think I brought up in the podcast because I couldn't get emotionally attached to everyone because they kept dying so quickly. I kind of was left with, these are really great story short story bits, but I'm not really caring at all about these people. And even further episodes past, I still wasn't caring about them. I just, nothing about that show really made me want to watch it and made me want to continue to watch it. I just think that it's it's another good zombie show. Yes, it has a little different take on the zombie, but it's still a zombie show and after so many years of the walking dead 28 years later i've been through a lot of zombie movies and i love them but they do have the same premise and they tend to follow the same shit and it's more like yeah i'm not in the mood right now to go down this road and that's that's fair oh i forgot to add the fall of the house fall of the house of usher as one of the best shows of the year as well but 
let's move on from 2023 and talk about our topics. The first one being what is deja vu? Something that everyone has felt at some point, I would think, is the glitch in the matrix, as it's often referred to due to the matrix movie. But there is a scientific explanation of what deja vu actually is, or at least a theory. The theory of split perception suggests deja vu happens when you see something two different times. The first time you see something, you might take it in out of the corner of your eye or while distracted. Your brain can begin forming a memory of what you see, even with the limited amount of information you get from a brief incomplete glance, because we know that the brain fills in the gaps often when it's missing information based on previous information that is stored in your memory receptum. So say you take a glance and it's a, uh, I I can't think of anything right now (laughs) that I'm having deja vu on, but say you walk into a park and you think you've been here before. Well, maybe when you were walking in, you glanced and, and before you got into the facility, your mind was already kind of peeping out everything that was going on. And you don't personally realize it, but your brain does. Another theory suggests deja vu happens when your brain, quote, glitches, so to speak, and experiences a brief electrical malfunction similar to what happens during an epileptic seizure. In other words, it can happen as a sort of mix up when the part of your brain that tracks present events and the part of your brain that recalls memories are both active. And I support this because of so much I've learned about the human brain and how it is its own little machine that does a lot of background processing without you consciously aware of those things happening. The one I always get deja vu on is smells. I will smell something, think I've been around or something or experiencing recall or thinking I've been here before, but it is just a past memory that I don't consciously have all of the components to put together. And so I'm left with the phantom feeling of that memory versus what it that it's, I'm actually reliving it, if that makes sense. I did say I wanted to tell you about our first emperor of America because many probably don't know that we had one. And no, his name wasn't George Washington, even though he was offered the position. Yeah, let's break away from the king and start our own monarchy. How about new? Luckily, that did not happen. But it does not mean that another person didn't decide that he was ready for the job. Joshua Abraham Norton was born to Jewish parents, John and Sarah Norton, in the Kentish town of Deptford, England, which now is part of London. The precise date has been trickier to pin down. Most likely, though, he was born February 4th of 1818. Two years later, 
In February 1820, young Joshua and his family, parents, older brother, Louis, and younger brother, Philip, who was born on the voyage, which probably is one of the worst places to give birth, set sail from London to South Africa, where his father established a successful ship's chandlery. I've never even heard of that word. In Liverpool in early February 1846, Joshua boarded the Boston ship Sunbeam, which sailed for Boston on February 10th, arriving on March 12th. Joshua was on the ship when it landed in Boston. He quickly established Joshua Norton and Company, a real estate and importing concern, and within three years had parlayed his starting balance of 1849 into $250,000 for inflation that be maybe close to 8 million? They say money can't buy happiness. Look at the fucking smile on my face. I'm rich, bitch! That is according to inflation for 2016 based on the article I am reading from which will be linked below. In very short order, Joshua had made himself into a very prosperous and respected gentleman. He knew all the right people. He was a member of all the right clubs and committees. He was invited to all the right parties. He stayed in the best hotels. He had access. He had arrived. Then in late 1852, Joshua Norton took some bad advice. When a famine in China created a shortage of rice, driving prices up 900%, Joshua was presented with an opportunity to corner the market by buying at 12 cents a pound or 12 and a half cents a pound, as opposed to the prevailing 36 cents a pound. A shipload of Peruvian rice in San Francisco just sitting in the harbor. The price, $25,000, which is still a shit ton of money. He put $2,000 down with a contract for the rest on December 22nd of 1852. Had things gone as planned, Joshua stood to make a very handsome profit indeed. But the next day and then over the next two weeks, several more shiploads of rice arrived from Peru, all of superior quality to what Joshua had bought. The price of rice plummeted to three cents a pound. Suddenly, his good deal looked very, very bad. Joshua sought to void his contract on the grounds that he had been misled. The matter was tied up in litigation for nearly two years at great great personal cost. Since it, he didn't win, by the way, and that was a lot of money to put into trying to get or stop from having to pay the full $25,000 per the contract. Unfortunately, he did not win. He lost everything. In August 1854, at the depth of his legal crisis, Joshua was inducted as a member of the Occidental Lodge Number no. 22 of Free and Accepted Masons. So he was a Freemason, However, he was no longer able to live the life that he had grown so very accustomed to throughout his life, even though he was very likable, it was said. He simply lost his mind. He mentally and emotionally broke down. 
because he didn't have a penny to his name. He used to just hand out cash like it was nothing. And the minute all of that went away, uh, he cracked. Except the way he cracked is the way in which he's remembered to history. Because in July 1859, Joshua, this is five years later, took out a paid ad in the San Francisco Daily Evening Bulletin newspaper. The ad was a brief manifesto addressed to the citizens of the union. It outlined in the broadest terms the national crisis as he saw it and suggested the imperative for action to address this crisis at the most basic level. A little more than two months later, in just 10 days after the election of September 7th of 1859, Joshua was back in the pages of the same paper with the following proclamation published on September 17th. At the preemptory request of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and 10 months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these United States. And in virtue of the authority thereby in me vested do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the union to assemble in musical hall of this city on the first day of February next, then and there to make such alterations in the existing laws of the union as may ameliorate the evils under which the country is laboring and thereby cause confidence to. I am the king and will not be. I am the king and king king That boy ain't right. So here's the funny thing about this story. Until this man died, they let him believe he was the emperor of the United States. He gave out proclamations he would send things to newspapers and they would put it in the newspapers he had his own currency that they would accept in their shops and he was an advocate uh, abolitionist he believed that slavery was an evil that existed in this continent that needed to be uh, gotten rid of so for the remainder of his life this once millionaire lived in a delusional state of superiority and an entire town indulged him and that is how we got the first emperor of the united states of america i guess great minds think alike because nutty history or is it weird history one or the other just did this uh, video this week. And I was like, wait a minute. I was covering this on my, ch- <laughs> on my podcast. And we'll end with two interesting facts. One just came out naturally in conversation. The other I kind of stumbled across because teenagers, the idea of teens isn't something that was in cultural society until 1940. So this is very new concept of us dealing with these particular people that aren't just uh, pint sized adults that should just be put out to work (laughs) with the rest of us. And maybe they'll have some appreciation for life. But no, we invented teenagery 
to to better prepare them for the outside world and give them longer to enjoy a life of not having to deal with those responsibilities. But juxtaposed against the Victorian era, where men and women had a real detachment from their children due to the exceptionally high mortality rate. Children were never gender assigned. Instead, boys and girls were dressed alike in dresses as they lasted longer than pants. And since this was convenient, they also couldn't afford haircuts. So all the boys and the girls had long flowing hair. Some people thought they were sisters. If you Google some photos of very famous people, such as Franklin D. Roosevelt, looks very much like a girl cherub. (laughs) Seriously, look it up. It's the best thing ever. They did this to both of their children until... It's not so bad if you're the girl, but the boy, you had to wait until you were seven to get yourself some breeches and maybe an accompanying haircut if they can afford it so that you're finally differentiated in sex because they couldn't be bothered to actually label you. So that, I thought that was very interesting considering our also current debates or, or whatever conversations around gender assignment and so on and so forth. It's like, oh, okay, well... Let's talk about how this shit just didn't matter as much so many years ago when the church was far more prolific than now when they're losing power. And lastly, we have someone we know that cannot confirm or deny anything I'm about to talk about right now, but had been stationed at Quantico. And so I was telling Mimi about a thing called white torture, to which she said, what the fuck is white torture? Like I had said something crazy, but it gave me a chance to educate. And you know how much I love doing that. I says, oh, white torture. Let's talk all about it. Well, we'll give a brief history on it. Well, it's often referred as white room torture. But if you say white torture, you're actually not saying it incorrectly. It is a type of psychological torture technique aimed at a complete sensory deprivation and isolation you would probably have hallucinations go crazy it leads to sensory deprivation and depression anxiety and insane thoughts especially if you're kept in this manner for a long time other things they do to make it is because we all hear about the one where there's uh, white noise and animal sounds or you're playing really crazy music. This is the complete opposite of this. And it's one of those things where it's, no, it's not torture, torture. How do I leave the biggest impact on someone without physically assaulting them? And that's how our government has decide, decided to to honorably get away from the UN ideas of crimes that are under the the Geneva Convention be considered a no-no. And there is an example we're going to talk about of someone who actually did go through this type of torture and surprisingly, the reactions to it. 
not only do they put you in a all white room, the walls are white, your clothes are white, the food you eat is white. There's no sound. So the walls are, are soundproof. And you don't interact with anyone. You're in complete isolation. There's a slot through the door where you get your meal. But by the time you even get to where you are across the room to get that meal, there's that person's gone. And even if you did see someone, they're all in white. So you're just, your mind is being rewired to take away all those very important things that make us sane humans. But it's not torture. <clears throat> Bullshit. Now I'm not going to sit here on my high horse. I think sometimes things need to be done and they are done. Uh, and as much as, you know, because all you got to do is interchange who the person is and your idea of what they're doing is probably going to change. Yeah. You tell me you're going to put a child molester in an all white room for the rest of their life. That sounds really good to me. I say we do that. Instead of life in prison, instead of any of that shit, rehabilitation, just put them in a white room. But <laughs> you can't take one stance and then be like, oh, well, if you're someone like Bradley Manning, who was uh, under suspicion for being involved in the WikiLeaks uh, affair, then, hey, we might be talking about cruel and inhumane punishment, which the UN special reporter on torture formally accused the US government of doing. They stated the US soldier who was held in the solitary confinement for almost a year was left in solitary confinement for up to what was it 11 months. The State Department's top spokesperson and unflappable font of double talk lost his job after a spontaneous eruption damning Manning's treatment President Obama himself weighed in soothingly informing a reporter that he had personally looked into the matter and that Manning's ongoing isolation and enforced nudity was for the young man's own good oh my god wow oh my god in fact, the prison's own psychiatric staff repeatedly found that there was no medical reason for Manning to be in isolation and argued month after month that he'd be taken off, quote, prevention of injury status, because that's the reason they gave. Manning's travails in solitary confinement came to an end on April 20th of 2011 when he was transferred from Quantico to, Fer to Fort Leavenworth in Kansas, where he was held in more open conditions. He is not the only person, but he is a U.S. citizen and a soldier to have gone through this type of type of torture under Quantico. Even when I looked online to find more information, there isn't as much as you would in a documentary <laughs> that may have no reasons to be censored by by you know the government and always look into these things they like say i'm not trying to to really jump on a, a bandwagon torture has been around for centuries 
and it's just a, a component of warfare I don't think is ever going to be phased out. And I think that some people would say, well, this is better than sticking needles. Well, one, we all know torture is basically not effective. So all you're trying to do is break someone down. And I think they're thinking this way, at least mentally, they'll be more pliable to get more information out of them. I can see the the reasoning behind it. But breaking someone mentally and our justice system saying, hey, you're going to serve a certain amount of time for the crime that you did for the time that you need to be served. And this person hasn't even been sentenced. And you're breaking them to the point where they may be have served their done their debt to society and been let back out to society. And now they can't function because of what you've done to them in prison. That's fucked up. It saddened me to find out that Obama, who we've all kind of put up there as one of the more better presidents in recent years would make such a callous statement dismissive statement regarding someone's treatment whether they're a traitor or not but it goes to show that the political machine is one driven by perception and perception is everything in america you have to choose do you want to live in a uninformed utopia of pride and nationalism or do you want to come join the realists that realize that things are always far more complicated than your brain wants them to be next week we're going to be talking about cults more of how people and cult of personalities can manipulate you So we're going to talk about the most uh, unique cults in history. Probably throw in a couple of well-known cults in there as well. If you have topics of a discussion that you want me to look into or ideas or thoughts or comments, buckercouch at gmail.com. My social media will be below. Like, share, subscribe. Until the next time, peace, hair grease, black girl magic.